Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Did you know that the Seton Shrine has a prayer line? If you or someone you know has been feeling overwhelmed or just lonely lately, give us a call. We are here Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And we can be reached at 1-866-202-4934. And we would love to pray with you. Now here's Father Ted. So today we're celebrating the Solemnity of Corpus Christi. This is the first time that we're actually celebrating this great feast of the body and blood of Jesus since that infamous Pew Research Study Survey came out that found that 70% of Catholics do not believe in the true presence. That is to say, only 30% of people that call themselves Catholic actually believe that the host that we consecrate in the Mass actually becomes Jesus Christ. So there is a huge percentage of individuals who deny transubstantiation, who deny that the consecration actually changes a piece of bread into Jesus Christ. And that is a really mind-boggling and tragic discovery, we can say. It's as if somebody were to start denying the Trinity or to deny the Immaculate Conception or deny papal infallibility. This is one of the most important teachings of our entire faith, that Jesus Christ is truly present amongst us in the Eucharist. The people that deny that this is in fact what takes place during the consecration, they say that it is a symbol. The Eucharist is merely a sign of his presence. It's something symbolic. And this is the great tragedy, is because they do not know what they are missing out on. The Second Vatican Council, they called the Eucharist the source and the summit of the Christian life. The source and the summit of our lives is not a symbol. It is a person whose name is Jesus Christ. And he is here on our altars at every single Mass. The presence of Jesus in the Eucharist is really what distinguishes us from so many other Christian believers. Mother Seton was drawn into the Catholic Church she was first attracted to and joined primarily on account of the teaching of the real presence of Jesus Christ. And if it's not true, if Jesus really isn't here in the altar, isn't here in our tabernacles, we're all idolaters. We're all worshiping a little wafer cracker which is what some people accused us of. And they continue sometimes to accuse us of that. And what's more, like, if we deny that Jesus Christ is actually here in the Eucharist, we have to ask ourselves, what else is not true? Because our Lord, as we just heard in today's Gospel, he was very explicit. It was pretty straightforward. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. You must eat this. I mean, just over and over and over again. He was very repetitive almost. This is not the language of somebody who is speaking in metaphors. He was speaking literally that my flesh is true food. And he actually swore an oath. If you notice that towards the beginning of the passage, he said, Amen, amen, I say to you. That's an oath. It's a solemn formula. It's like putting your hand on the Bible and saying, So help me God, I will tell the truth and nothing but the truth. That is what Jesus prefaced his words with. My flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. 
So if we're going to say that that's a metaphor, that he was just speaking symbolically about that, what else was he speaking metaphorically about? What else are we just going to throw out the window? You know, was he also speaking metaphorically about the mercy of God? Was he speaking metaphorically about the existence of heaven and hell? Was he speaking metaphorically about the love of God for us? You know, if we are going to, per, if we are going to place that kind of interpretation on the words of our Lord concerning the Eucharist, we can't really believe anything for certain. So how did it come about that so many Catholics deny that the Eucharist is truly Jesus' body and blood? What led to that? Ultimately speaking, it's because of a lack of faith. People don't believe that Jesus is present in the Eucharist because they don't have the faith in the Eucharist. And that can happen for a number of different reasons. But if we think about it, it's not as unreasonable as certain people might make it out to be. When we say that Jesus Christ is truly present in the Eucharist, we are required to make the same act of faith that we make when we say that Jesus Christ is God. There's a popular Catholic author by the name of Scott Hahn you might have heard of. He said that the same argument that non-Catholics use to refute or to attempt to refute the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, non-Christians use to refute the divinity of Jesus Christ. Because the non-Christian will look at Jesus and say, but look at him, he's just like a man like anybody else. He looks like us, he talks like us. There's nothing special about him. Just use your senses. He can't be God. A non-Catholic would look at the host that is consecrated and say, just look at it for yourself. There's nothing different about it. It looks the exact same. How can this be God? Just use your senses. But we believe in the divinity of Christ and we believe in the true presence in the Eucharist. The faith that we are called to make in the Eucharist is the same faith that the apostles had in Jesus Christ. They looked at him, they saw a man, they believed he was God. We look at the Eucharist, we see a host, we believe that it is God. It takes faith, that's for sure. It's not as if, well, obviously it's Jesus, but at the same time, it's not as stupendous of a leap of faith as sometimes we might make it out to be. And there are a number of different things that might have led to this erosion of faith in so many different people. One of the foremost, perhaps, in our day and age is because many people don't practice the faith. If you're not going to practice the faith, if you're not going to actually adhere to the teachings of the faith, you're going to end up not believing them. The life must be in conformity with your beliefs, or eventually your beliefs will come down to the level of your life. But something else, you know, another thing that could destroy somebody's faith would be to deny certain dogmas, certain teachings. Like if we're going to start by denying some things, we're going to end up by denying everything. And this is what we see historically taking place actually with certain uh, denominations of Protestants, where they began by denying, for example, the authority of the church, and then they threw out the window number of the sacraments, then they began to deny the infallibility of scriptures. There are huge swaths of Protestants nowadays that don't even believe that the scriptures, that the Bible is the word of God, is infallible. They throw out sometimes even the divinity of Christ. Very often they throw out all kinds of sexual morality. They began simply being upset with the church and saying the church was not actually founded by Jesus Christ. And they end up with, they're continually throwing out more and more dogmas. 
And that could happen to us as well. Like if we choose to not believe everything that the church and the scripture teaches us, for example, if we choose to deny what the church and the Bible have to say about homosexual unions, about the need to confess our sins, about the, um, the divinity of Christ, you know, if we choose to be selective about what we believe in, we're going to end up having no reason to believe any of it. But some other reason that perhaps might strike more to home, like why certain, why so many people deny the true presence, isn't so much on account of what they do. Ultimately, the responsibility is with them. But it's also on account of what we do, on account of how we behave, on account of our actions, that many people lack the belief in the true presence. Because they might not believe because we don't act as if he's here. We don't give him the respect, the honor, the love, the care, the reverence, as if this was actually God in the Eucharist. You know, how many times is the monstrance exposed in a church and you have people meandering back and forth? Or after the Mass ends, people break out in conversation as if it was a town hall. Where is the love? Where is the reverence? Where is the adoration? Where is the care for Jesus Christ who is in our midst even right now? If they don't see us acting as if it were Jesus Christ, why would we expect them to believe that it is, in fact, Jesus Christ? And if we really believed, we would be battering down church doors in order to get to him. The weekday masses would be just as well attended as the Sunday masses in the most, for the most part. We would never drive by a church without stopping if we could, or at least saying a prayer. We would be laying siege to heaven, as St. Catherine of Siena said, asking for God to send more vocations to the priesthood so that nobody would be deprived of his presence in the Eucharist. I think at the end of our lives, one of the greatest regrets that we are going to experience is that he was so close, and yet we were so often so far. Because he is here. He is here, the fulfillment of all of our desires. Everything that we want is here. The human heart won't be satisfied by superficial things. We're looking for deep peace. And if we're looking for that peace, we're looking for Christ. If we are looking for goodness, we are looking for Christ. If we are looking for love, we are looking for Christ. If we are looking for truth, we are looking for Christ. And he is here in our midst, present to those who have the eyes of faith to see him. I mean, yes, he's everywhere. He's, you know, He's omnipresent, you know, there's no place on the face of the earth that doesn't have in some way the presence of God, but his universality doesn't prevent him from being localized in particular locations, especially in the Eucharist. In the Old Testament, Solomon, when he was blessing, dedicating the temple, he recognized the, omnip he recognized the omnipresence of God, but he asked still that God would come into the temple, would reside in the temple as his dwelling place. In the New Testament, he dwells in each and every one of our churches in the most intimate way imaginable in the tabernacle. It's something which is almost too good to be true. You know, very often we say, okay, up, when we get into heaven, we're going to see God. When we get to heaven, we're going to be with God. We don't need to wait for heaven. Heaven begins on earth for those who have faith. Sometimes we look back, we wonder, oh, it would be nice if I, would, if I had walked with Jesus, if I had been in Palestine, if I could have been one of the 12 disciples, if I could have been, you know, seen Jesus or heard Jesus preach. That would have been great. We don't have to look back. 
Mother Seton. You know, here at the Seton Shrine, we're honored to be able to prolong her legacy. So we have this, this house which she lived in. We have the grounds in which she walked. We have her relics there in the basilica. But at the end, Mother Seton is no longer here with us. But Jesus is here with us, physically, present in our midst. We do not need to go looking back towards him. If we go into that cemetery over there, you're going to see a large number of tombstones. Actually, the procession is going to end up in the cemetery at one point. And each one of those tombstones, it's going to have two dates on it. It's going to have a beginning date and it's going to have an end date. The beginning date is when the life of somebody began. The end date is when they left this world. If Jesus Christ were to have a tombstone, which he doesn't because he's not dead, but if he were, we'd have a beginning date on it. We know more or less so when he was born. But there would be no end date on it. He never left us. He is still here. He's completely present in the Eucharist. And we say that he's present Remember the old formula from catechism, perhaps? Body, blood, soul, divinity. We might overlook that one that says soul. He's here, his soul is in the Eucharist as well. His human soul. His human soul that has an intellect and has a will. So in the Eucharist, Jesus Christ knows us. In the Eucharist, Jesus Christ loves us with his will. So it's not just like this passive reality that we go to, that we adore, that we receive. The Eucharist is Jesus Christ alive. And he knows exactly who we are. He looks at us from the Eucharist. And when we receive him in communion, he says, I choose you, I love you, and I know you by name. He is truly alive and present with us. But if we perhaps have a faith that is weak, if perhaps we're doubting or perhaps we just don't experience that, we don't truly assent to that belief, we should not imitate the Jewish crowds in Capernaum and just simply murmur within ourselves. We need to take our lack, our little faith to Jesus and tell him, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Destroy whatever is in me that is preventing me from completely believing and loving you in this host. And you, Blessed Virgin Mary, we pray today that we might be able to receive your Son in Holy Communion with that same belief and that same love that you had when you received him from the hands of St. John the Evangelist.